0: Genesis 4 is where we are, and this is the word of God. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Folks, every time the Queen goes somewhere, every time a member of the royal family goes somewhere, every time they perhaps climb into a podium to lecture us about not using planes and then fly home first class on a plane, they will get a gift There'll be little girls who run up to them with bunches of flowers. There will be heads of nation states who will give them a nice vase or an antique or whatever it might be. And the Queen in particular, no doubt, she gets thousands of gifts all the time, everywhere she goes. And I wonder if you've ever considered what happens to all of that. Because you back in nineteen fifty-four, you crocheted her something in school and you sent it off and and do you ever wonder if that's the, the wee blanket that the queen uses in the dead of winter? Maybe, maybe not, but for example, the queen was given from the people of Brazil two sloths. If you don't know what a, a sloth is, it's like a big monkey, moves really slow, looks a bit creepy. The people of Brazil gave her majesty two sloths. The Cameroonians were a wee bit like that, they give her an elephant. The people of Germany, don't like the Germans, but the Germans, what did they give her? They gave her a model of the Brandenburg Gate that was made out of Marzipan. And the Australians, typical Australians, and forgive me if you are Brazilian, Cameroonian, German, or Australian, typical Australians, they gave her a bar of soup for her dog from the people of Ballarat in Australia. Now, what does she do with that? What do you do when somebody gives you soap for your dog or a big... Marzipan, the Brandenburg Gate. What happens to the gifts that the Queen receives? Well, I read this week at this wee notion for this introduction and I thought I would do a bit of research and there is a seven page document on the Royal Family's website about gift etiquette. So, for example, if you and I rolled up and we gave Her Majesty some money she could accept it as long as it's not over 200 pounds. And she could accept it as long as you're not known to her and perhaps trying to manipulate her they granted you favors. There's a whole big document about it. And in that document, it also states that any gifts given to her or members of her family, well, one of five things will happen to those gifts. Number one, perhaps it will be stored. So the sloths, hopefully, were not put in a big box in a uh, warehouse somewhere. and Somebody remembers 20 years from now. Perhaps they will be stored. If they're really fancy, they will be added to the royal collection. Uh, If they are fancy, but there's no room for them at the palace, they might be loaned out to a museum. The elephants, by the way, were loaned out to London Zoo. They're maybe donated to a charity or to an organization, or it is the prerogative of the representatives of Her Majesty to destroy your gift if it is deemed suitable. So once upon a time, like I said, you sent that crocheted blanket, or maybe you sent a wee vase from your granny's house or whatever, and you thought, that'll look lovely in Buckingham Palace, and maybe one day when you get your reward of an OBE or an MBE or something like that, and John, he's going to be a knight for services to the British Empire, no doubt, don't expect to see your granny's carriage clock on a mantelpiece in Buckingham Palace. Chances are, it's in a dump somewhere. We don't like to think of that, do we? what else are you going to do with all these gifts that she gets every single day of the week? Folks, tonight, other gifts were brought. Not to Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, but to the Lord God Almighty, the one true majesty, as we've already heard and sung about. And in Genesis 4, a story is told about two brothers who bring two very different gifts to the Lord. They come to worship him. They come to bring what they feel is an acceptable gift, but one is accepted and the other is not. Perhaps you've sometimes read this passage, and it's very early on in the Bible. Probably it's a passage that we've read a hundred times. After all, when it comes to the new year and we do a Bible reading plan, usually most of us get through at least ten chapters of Genesis before maybe giving up. So we've read Cain and Abel. And we read the story, and the brothers come, and they bring different gifts, and they come to worship. But the Lord accepts one, and he rejects another. Does the Lord have a seven-page document somewhere that we can read to discover why some gifts were accepted and others were rejected? Well, no, not quite. But we do have the Word of God, and thankfully the Word of God highlights the difference in the offerings that these two brothers brought. What Cain brought was something by the sweat of his brow chapter 4 of genesis tells us the verse 3 in the fullness of time cain brought to the lord an offering of the fruit of the ground cain was a farmer he brings this offering of of the fruit of the ground and his brother is also a farmer and he brings in verse 4 an offering of the firstborn of his flock and all their fat portions and as we've studied before in the book of Leviticus when we hear about the fat portions, we're hearing about the good bits. So Abel brings this offering, Cain brings another offering. You think the Lord would be pleased with it all, and yet one offering is rejected and the other is accepted. We read that it is Abel's offering that the Lord has regard for. The Lord tells us in his word in chapter 4, verse 4, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. And in verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. Perhaps when you read the Bible and you get to that point, you think, well, this is exceptionally unfair. Two brothers, they come to worship the Lord, they, they come to bow before him, they each bring a gift. One is a farmer of sheep, so he brings an animal. One is a farmer of the land, so he brings fruit from the land. They both seem to have done a good thing, an honest thing, a perfect thing. They come to praise the Lord, and yet the Lord says to one, no, thank you. And he says to another, I am pleased with that. Maybe it strikes us as the the Lord playing favorites, and it's unfair. for poor Cain and we're a wee bit sympathetic. Because after all, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, we do stuff like that. We come to this place. We come and we sing and we put our money in the bags, and we do other things throughout the week, and we like to think the Lord, well, he's so pleased that we're doing him a favor, and we're almost patting him on the back, and surely he will have regard for whatever kind of offering we bring. And yet that is not the case. We know this famous story, Abel, his offering is accepted, and Cain's is not. Now before we consider the difference between the offerings, it is, I think, important to note where we are in the whole sweep of human history. Part of the reason for this series is so that we can get an idea of the fact that the gospel is not this brand new thing that comes about uh, in the New Testament, that the church is not this brand new thing that is born on the day of Pentecost. Sometimes we hear that, we we see on the day of Pentecost, uh, well-meaning posts on Facebook saying, happy birthday to the church, but that's not the case the gospel is from of old and the church is from of old and there's only ever been one path of salvation and we will see that in the lives of Cain and Abel. Now that might sound like an extraordinary thing to say, maybe you wish to agree to disagree with me on that because you are convinced that well uh, the New Testament is where it is at for us Christians, the rest is just good stories to tell the kids. That's not the case. In Genesis 3 in verses 14 and 15 the gospel is preached for the first time the Lord speaks to Satan the serpent the accuser of God's people and he says because you have done this cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head. We call this the proto-gospel, the first gospel, the the preaching of the word of God to the devil himself. Where it seems that Satan wins, humanity has fallen, it is an utterly disgraceful situation, everything has changed horrendously, sin and death has entered in, it couldn't get any worse. And what does the Lord do? He preaches to the devil. And he preaches good news says a child is coming, the offspring of the woman. You will bruise his heel, you will strike a blow against him, but he will bruise or he will crush your head. Here is the good news in Genesis 3. If you believe the good news is a New Testament thing, sadly my friend you're wrong. The devil hears the good news. The devil knows that the Lord has a plan, a child is coming. Satan is aware that his card is marked and the clock is ticking and the offspring of the woman, the seed of the woman, is coming to right what has gone wrong. Not only has the gospel by this stage already been proclaimed, but sinners have already been forgiven. We've already jumped to Cain and Abel, but of course we know who their parents were. Chapter 4 begins by telling us that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She bore again. It was his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. We have jumped to Cain and Abel, and perhaps we have forgotten about Adam and Eve. And maybe there has been a point in your life where you have pondered, well, Will Adam and Eve be in glory? Have they been saved? There is reason. I believe, I think, that there are men and women, a man and a woman of faith. The gospel has been preached in Genesis 3, and when it comes to Genesis 3 and verse 21, we read that the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Do you see what's going on there? Here's Adam and Eve, fallen into sin, led astray by Satan. The Lord preaches the good news, and when it comes to Genesis 3 and 21, what does he do? He clothes them. He covers up their nakedness and their shame before him. We look at this verse as reason to believe that Adam and Eve have come and repented of their sin, that first sin. A sin that you might think is, is unforgivable, and yet the Lord of God of grace, as we hear on Sunday mornings, is the one who comes and clothes this man and this woman. Just as tonight as we come to him with repentance and faith, he clothes us in robes of righteousness. So by the time we meet Cain and Abel, and by the time we decide what the problem is here with the different offerings that they have brought, we must note that in Genesis 3 the gospel has been preached and sinners have already been clothed. The church has been born. They've already heard the good news. And so when we get to chapter 4, we see the word of prophecy in Genesis 3, 14 and 15 played out. Cain and Abel come to worship the Lord. One offering is accepted, and the other is rejected. Why did the Lord have no regard for Cain's offering? Genesis 4 doesn't fill in those blanks, but thanks be to God because we have Genesis to Revelation and Scripture interprets Scripture. In Matthew 23 and verses 34 to 37, the Lord Jesus speaks a word of judgment to the scribes and the Pharisees. He tells them in that passage, I will send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. Some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from time to time, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Do you see what Jesus there describes Abel as? Not as a man who was saved by works, as sometimes we think happened in the Old Testament. Not as a a man who who brought a really nice offering, and therefore God was duty-bound to accept it. But the Lord Jesus Christ describes Abel as righteous. He describes Abel as a righteous man. And we know, I hope, from our study of Galatians through the summer, and from what we're hearing on Sunday mornings, that the only way anybody can be declared righteous is through saving faith in Christ. And when we trust in Jesus, our faith is placed in him. We receive the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. We are clothed, to use that Genesis 3 language, in robes of righteousness. A righteousness that is not our own. It is credited to our account. so that is the language that the Lord uses to describe Abel. Righteous, Abel. If the picture isn't clear, we see in Hebrews 11... In verse four, what we're talking about. Last week we started in Hebrews eleven by reminding ourselves that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And in verse two, Paul makes it clear for by it, by faith, the people of old receive their commendation. By faith, the people of old, like Abel, righteous Abel, according to Jesus, received their commendation. By faith. We understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And here tonight in verse four, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commanded as righteous. It was by faith that Abel came to worship his God that day. As we read Genesis four. Hebrew speaks, and Matthew speaks, and we realize that as Scripture interprets Scripture, what we do here, what we see here in Genesis 4 is not a a, a God who plays favorites. He's not a God who takes these two brothers and, and treats one well and the other poorly just because He's a God who receives Abel's offering because Abel comes by faith. Abel worships trusting in the Christ who is yet to come. Abel worships his God, clinging on to Jesus by faith. Cain comes with an altogether different attitude. Cain comes expecting to be received because after all the Lord will take whatever we give. Cain comes not in faith, but with a hardened heart that we see the repercussions of it all the way through. God sees that Cain is angry in verse 5. His face falls, and the Lord speaks to him in verse 6 and says, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? The Lord has accepted Abel's offering, but he has no regard for Cain's, and yet he speaks words of grace to Cain. We see again the good news. We see the gospel being proclaimed to Cain. He has come, and the Lord has no regard for his offering. But the Lord does not shut the door on Cain. The Lord does not say, Cain, get out of my sight. I'm done with you. Your offering was awful. The Lord speaks to him, and he says, Cain, in verse 7, If you do well, will you not be accepted? What does the Lord mean? Again, it's not a call to works. The Lord is not urging Cain to go out and to work harder. And to drop more beads of sweat into the ground and to bring more fruit of the field next time. The Lord is not requiring of Cain cleaner potatoes or, or longer carrots or, or nicer turnips. That's not what the call is. The Lord says, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? The Lord speaks the gospel into this man's life. How do we do well? We come by faith. It is Paul, and again in Hebrews 11, who tells us, as we will hear God willing next week, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so as we meet the Lord and Cain, speaking here in Genesis 4, verse 7, the Lord is calling Cain to faith. Not works. Not... To trying better, trying harder, crossing fingers, putting more into the basket. Maybe be trying his hand at coming to the Lord's table. Now be coming to church a wee bit more on a Sunday. None of those things the Lord says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Of course he will be accepted. Can if you turn from your sin, and if you trust me, if you put your faith in the one who is to come, you will be accepted. The Lord speaks to this man with words of grace. And it continues because the Lord warns him. The Lord says, as verse 7 comes to a close, If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. If we read this passage thinking we have met an angry and vindictive God who plays favorites with these boys for some divine reason that we can't figure out, we do the Lord an injustice. Abel has come with faith. Cain has not. But even in his faithlessness, the Lord urges him to receive the good news. And even in his faithfulness, the Lord speaks to Cain and says, Cain, be careful. Be careful. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. You you must understand the danger you are in. You must know that the wages of sin is death. Isn't it amazing that here is Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and Eve. They would have no doubt heard about the fall. They would have heard the the, the massive destruction that it has caused. And yet even in the very first generation, the Lord needs to speak to Cain and says, Sin wants to have its way with you. It is crouching at your door and if you can imagine going out your door tonight and Some big tiger standing outside waiting to jump on you. It's that kind of imagery. Sin is crouching at the door for you, Cain. You almost hear the Lord speaking to say to this man, Please hear me. You must rule over it. Here we meet once more our God of grace. A God who receives one offering because it is brought by faith, and we read that in Matthew and Hebrews the Lord who rejects the other offering but extends the hand of friendship to the one who brought it. And yet, it's bad news that comes next. Yet, we see the outworking of God's prophecy that he gave to Satan just one chapter before. What is it the Lord said to Satan? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Friends, if you want to try and understand the Bible in a very simple way, and indeed all of human history in a very simple way, it can be summed up by by those two paths. The offspring of the woman and the offspring of the enemy, of Satan. And we are on one path or the other. It is as simple as that. There are those of us who have received the gift of God, the, the gift of salvation through faith in Christ, who is the expected seed of the woman. And there are those of us like Cain who have rejected all of that nonsense as we see it, and we're still of the enemy, of Satan. We're still walking that path that leads to destruction. Will Cain realize this? As the gracious words of God drip into his life, will Cain wake up and realize what the problem was with his offering? Will Cain realize that that the faithlessness that has gripped his heart is at the heart of the issue? Unfortunately not. Because in the very next verse, he does not heed the Lord. He does not heed the words of grace to be accepted by the Lord. He does not listen to the Lord warning him that sin is crouching at the door and he must rule over it. And so when verse 8 comes along, he speaks to his brother And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The first recorded murder in human history. Cain kills his brother Abel. And what is at the heart of it? Abel's faith. It provokes a jealousy in Cain. It provokes a self-righteousness in Cain that says, this is not fair. The Lord should treat me as well as he treats my brother. The Lord should have regard for me the way he has regard for my brother. This is not right. It is a disgrace. And that anger and that jealousy and that vengeance rises up in this man where he strikes down his brother. And again, if you believe we're reading into the passage, we see it in First John chapter 3, verses 11 to 12. John writes, this is the message that we heard from the beginning." That we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was off that wicked one. Cain is off the enemy. He is off the devil. Not as Cain, who was off that wicked one and slayed his brother. And where did he slay him? Why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil. And his brothers were righteous. Scripture, once again, interprets Scripture. Scripture. Abel's offering was received by God because of Abel's faith. Cain received a gentle and grace-filled word from the Lord to do well, to trust, to be accepted through faith. The Lord even warned him that sin wanted to destroy him. He must rule over it, and in the very next verse, because his brother was counted as righteous, it provoked in him this jealousy and rage where he ends his brother's life. that the story over? For this wicked man, no. The Lord still treats him with grace, unmerited favor. The Lord says to him in verse 9, where is Abel your brother? And out of Cain's mouth come words of arrogance. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He lies to the face of God. He knows rightly where his brother is. He He denies any knowledge of it. And then he says, am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, actually you are. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? But the Lord is no fool. He knows all things and says, what have you done? Verse 10, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. So the Lord curses him. He says in verse 12, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain replies in verse 13, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you're driving me out from the ground. From your face I shall be hidden. I'll be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord speaks again. Words of grace. Not so, verse 15. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who find him, should attack him. Friends, if you want to read endless notes on a Bible topic, you look up the mark of Cain on the internet or in books. We spend year upon year arguing over what that mark could have been, but by doing that I think we miss the point. Instead of destroying this man, as would be his divine right as a holy, all-powerful God, he sends him away and puts a mark on him so that he will not be killed would think, wouldn't you? That Cain and his wanderings, Cain settling in the land of Nod, east of Eden, perhaps would would think on the events of this day. Perhaps would consider his brother. Perhaps would see his face in his dreams and, and be led to a place where he repents of his sin. But that's not what happens. As we've already said, by the time we get to the New Testament, Cain is counted as wicked, not righteous. Cain is counted as an individual who is off the enemy, off the evil one, not righteous. Cain, it seems, is a man who spends the rest of his days not clinging to Jesus, but clinging to his own self righteousness and hardness of heart. Friends, the church begins with Adam and Eve being covered with garments of skin given to them by the Lord and a with Abel, this righteous man, this worshipper of God, who is killed by one of the devil, who is his own flesh and blood, his brother. We see the whole story of human history played out in just a few verses, in just two chapters at the beginning of the Word of God. What do we learn from it tonight? Well, I think a couple of things. Firstly, as the Lord tells us later on in the New Testament, we should not be surprised when the world hates us. We should not be surprised when it seems that as believers we are faced with all kinds of opposition and all kinds of trials. And they will come from inside and from outside the church. They will come from various places, perhaps government, perhaps society. But we should not be surprised when we are laughed at and mocked and scorned because of our faith. It has always been this way. There are two paths, two roads, two seeds, two offspring, one of the woman and one of the wicked one, the devil. And friends, tonight if we are in Christ through faith in him, then we are of Jesus. We are part of that family. Our deeds are counted as righteous. Our worship is acceptable in the sight of God. Do not be surprised when all kinds of trials come your way. Sometimes when that happens, we perhaps lose heart as Christians and believe that the Lord has forsaken us. Absolutely not. The Lord has promised to never leave us or forsake us. The Lord has made it clear that we are his prized possession. We are his people. And so I pray tonight that if you're in a moment where perhaps even your brother hates your guts, that happens, doesn't it? Families are often the place where we we war are filled with anger? Friends, do not be surprised. Sometimes when you don't know the reason, sometimes when you think to yourself, what is it that I have done? It can be as simple as the reality of this passage. That your deeds are counted as righteous because of your faith in Christ, and the one who is against you is of his father, the devil. And I know that sounds very grand and and I'm not a guy that sees a demon under every bad story or a, an enemy of the church under every bed or every curtain waiting that pounce on us. I'm not that guy. But please let us not water down the scriptures that tells us that because we are of Christ, that we are counted as enemies of this world. Although that sounds like incredibly bad news, please know that it is good news. I don't want you going home tonight and hiding under your blanket want to see our blanket at the minute. My mother-in-law has given us a new duvet sheet that looks like something uh, from you know, the Tubbies or something like that. The kids come in the morning and laugh at us. It's so bright. Folks, I don't want you getting onto your wee blanket and panicking and fearing because everything's bad. Everything is not bad. The world may be against us, but we know through faith in Christ that He is for us. People die to death in a fever the hands of his brother. What an absolutely horrendous story. And yet in Hebrews 11, we're told about this man, that it was by faith that he offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Isn't that amazing? Now, Abel would not have known even the name of Jesus. Abel would not have knowing much about the future. Christians aren't given that knowledge, but Abel tonight is in glory. And Abel tonight, is the church of Jesus Christ, we still speak of this precious saint of God. Friends, truly for us, by faith, and we need not fear. And truly for us, by faith, we long and look forward to the day that we will sing with choirs of angels forevermore, because we have received the greatest gift of all by faith. Friends, I don't know what troubles you or troubles me or or what lies ahead of us in this world. Many Christians will argue that dark clouds are coming. Others will say everything is going to get better for a time. You take your choice. You take your pick. You stand on that, but whatever happens by faith, we will stand. See, we know who it is that we have believed. We know his name. We have a full testament of his glorious word to live by and abide by. We have not been forgotten or forsaken. And if the devil himself rapped on our door tonight, we would not need to quit. Because Christ is for us. My friends, tonight... For those of you who really just don't get that, and you think that it's not really by faith, works must have some play in it, works must mean something. And you know what? I think Cain would probably have been a very good member of a Presbyterian church somewhere in Ireland because it seems that he got this idea into his head that all he had to do was show up now and again and everything was going to be okay. Friends, that's never been the reality. I embarrassed my daughters over the summer. I embarrassed them all the time. But I embarrassed them over the summer. We were worshipping a Ballywilling Presbyterian. And the minister uh, was getting distracted. There was a little robin uh, that was flying about the church. And it got in somehow. And it was flying onto all the rafters. And it was knocking the dirt from the rafters. And there were clouds of dust falling. And it was all very embarrassing and distracting. And it might have been the greatest sermon in the world. But everybody was looking at this robin flying about. So the minister said, well, look, if any of you know how to get rid of birds, let me know. We want to get rid of this one for next week. We don't want this to happen again. Do you know what I should do, he said? We should make that bird a communicant member, and then it's guaranteed not to be here next week. That's kind of a minister's joke, isn't it? So he he says this. Nobody laughs, but of course me being a minister, (laughs) up on the balcony. And instead of looking at the robin, everybody looks at us there it is. Folks, sometimes our churches do have people like that in them. See, the Church of Christ is both visible and invisible. The invisible church is made up of Abels and Scott Woodburns and others who have received Christ by faith. We are part of the invisible church, both militant on earth and triumphant in glory. That's the reality of the church. But we're part as well of a visible church that gathers weekly. And as part of that visible church, there are the wheat and the terns. And so tonight, maybe you are convinced that by showing up, it must mean something. And after all, there are many who don't show up, many who don't come. So, so God must have regard for your offering. Friends, as we read this passage and as we read scripture, interpreting scripture, and we see that Abel comes by faith, which is the reason for his offering to be accepted, please see yourself as Cain. You might come with your Sunday best, and you might put a check in the wee blue bags, and you might even do stuff around the place. You might lead GB, you, you might sing in the choir, you might think that you're the best thing that's ever come to visit Presbyterianism, but if you don't have faith, The Lord has no regard for your offering. And you and Cain are of your father the devil. My friends, let me speak words of grace to you. You see, you're not beyond his reach tonight. And you're not someone tonight who is beyond hope. There is breath in your body and your backside is sitting on a pew in Eden Grove and you're hearing this word hear the word of God who speaks to you O Cain and says if you do well will you not be accepted? Of course you will. May you know tonight that doing well in the sight of God is by believing in the one whom he has sent. May this be the last day that you live in Cain may tonight be found in Christ. We rejoice in this word, and we're thankful tonight for the gift of faith that gives us a wonderful hope, no matter what comes to us. Amen, and we thank God for his word. Folks, Jesus Christ tonight is the greater Abel. Abel's blood was shed and the ground cried out against his murderer Cain. But tonight our trust is not in Abel. Our trust is in Christ, the Savior of Abel and all who call upon him. And the blood of Christ is able to cleanse us from every sin.